All right, uh, this morning we are in Exodus 24. And what's interesting about Exodus 24 is that in some ways it's the pivotal chapter in Exodus. In fact, it may be one of the pivotal chapters in the entire Bible. Um, and yet we don't think of it that way. But what's going to happen in Exodus 24 is that the people enter into covenant with God. They, they are not, as a nation, they have not entered into covenant with God. And that is what's going to happen in Exodus 24. They actually ratify the Mosaic covenant. And if you think about it, none of the rest of the Old Testament makes sense unless you understand that the people are in covenant with God in Mosaic, the Mosaic covenant. When we get to the New Testament, Jesus says this is the new covenant and we're under a new covenant, but the covenant that we're replacing is this old covenant. So the New Testament really only makes light in, sense, in the sense that we understand that there was an old covenant and the old covenant is ratified right here. If you talk about pivotal chapters in the Bible, when man falls, that's a pivotal chapter. When God comes to Abraham and establishes covenant with Abraham, pivotal chapter. The Mosaic covenant is a pivotal chapter. And then when Jesus is crucified and is raised again, that whole event is the pivotal events of the Bible. Um, what's gonna happen too is that Exodus totally changes from being a narrative about the people of Israel to now focusing on God. So up until now, it's not that God isn't the focus of it, but you've gone through and you've heard about Israel and they're in slavery and God brings them out and there's the plagues and the Red Sea and all the rest. But now it's all focused on God. How do we worship God? What do the priest's clothes look like? What does the tabernacle look like? Everything now in a sense focuses on the tabernacle and, and on the worship of God with little narrative sections put in there. Come on in. All right, so uh, we're not going to read the whole chapter, but we're going to read part of it. And um, it, it's an odd chapter, but because a lot of it doesn't make sense to us, so we're going to do some background. And then um, there's some things that if we don't understand, we'll miss the main point of what's being said in the, in the chapter, I think. So starting in chapter 24, verse 1, it says, Then he, God said to Moses, Come up to the Lord, you and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel, and worship from afar. Moses alone shall come near to the Lord, but the others shall not come near, and the people shall not come up to him, or up with him. Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the rules. And all the people answered with one voice and said, All the words that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And Moses wrote down all the words of the Lord. He rose early in the morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain and 12 pillars according to the 12 tribes of Israel. And he sent young men of the people of Israel who offered burnt offerings and sacrificed, sacrificed peace offerings of oxen to the Lord. And Moses took half of the blood and put it in basins and half of the blood he threw against the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people. And they said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do and we will be obedient. And Moses took the blood and threw it on the people and said, behold, 
the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. Then Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu and 70 of the elders of Israel went up and they saw the God of Israel. There was under his feet, as it were, a pavement of sapphire stone, like the very heaven for clearness. And he did not lay his hand on the people, on the chief men of the people of Israel. They beheld God and ate and drank. Uh, then Moses, the Lord said to Moses, come up to me on the mountain and wait there that I may give you the tablets of stone with the law and the commandments, which I have written for their instruction. And we're gonna stop there because I don't think we'll get further than that this morning. Um, the scene is that we're still at Mount Sinai. Um, if you go back to, by the way, it's interesting, we have been in the law for 10 weeks as we went through the 10 commandments. We spent time before that, and then we talked about the Book of the Covenant for another maybe six weeks. So we've been almost half a year, but it's all the same event. They're still standing at the foot of the mountain, okay? So what I wanna do just to bring us back into the right mindset is to go back uh, real quickly to Exodus 19. Um, in Exodus 19, the people in their travels, the, the cloud leads them to Mount Sinai. And at Mount Sinai, God calls Moses up onto the mountain. And he calls him up onto the mountain. And starting in 19, verse 3, it says, While Moses went up um, to God, the Lord called him to him out of the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the people of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my commandments, covenant you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples for all the earth is mine and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation these are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel um, this sense is what is known as a preamble he is uh, to their covenant he's telling them what he's done for them and why they should enter into covenant with him um, and the people agree Moses comes down from the mountain the people agree with God <clears throat> and say all that the Lord has said we will do. Moses goes back up onto the mountain and God says to him, go back down and tell the people not to come near the altar, not to come near the mountain. And, and then Moses comes back down, tells the people to cleanse themselves and not come near the mountain. Moses is uh, called back up, but before he gets called back up, he introduces the people to God. I want you to see that in 19 verse, um, um, chapter 19, verse 17. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God, and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. And then we have the big pyrotechnic display, the smoke and the clouds and the fire and the lightning, and the people are terrified. Um, and then Moses draws a line around the mountain, says, don't approach. He goes up onto the mountain and God says, go down and tell them not to come near the mountain. And Moses says, I just told them that. And God says, go do it anyway. So he goes back down, comes back up the fourth time and, um, and is given the commandments and the book of the covenant, okay? Um, now, <clears throat> that's where we find ourselves now. Here's the interesting thing. He doesn't get the tablets of stone. 
He's not going to get the tablets of stone until Exodus 24, verse 12, when he goes back up onto the mountain. In other words, what's happened is God has said, these are my conditions. Are you willing to agree with this? And when the people say yes, Moses goes back up on the mountain and he gets the tablets of stone. So he, he's heard the law written it down, but it hasn't been ratified yet. This is the ratification of the covenant. And the people, as we saw in verse 24, Moses reads them the law and they say, yes, all that the Lord has said, we will do. Now we know if you, uh, unless I have somebody here who's never read further in Exodus, their commitment to God, remember they know what the law is because they've had it explained, their commitment lasts for what? <clears throat> Less than 40 days. Because when they go up onto the mountain and Moses is taking a while, what do they do? They make golden calves and they begin to worship it. And unless I'm missing something, that's violating the very first two commandments, right? No other gods before me and no graven images. But at this point, they have entered in willingly into the covenant and God says, okay, now, now I will give the law in a permanent form. So it's not, it's kind of like we get together, we agree, and now we go on up. Let me mention something about covenant before we go further. And I know some of you have been with me and you understand some of this. There's a, co a covenant is just a contract. It's an agreement you enter into. There were covenants between equals and there were covenants between a greater and a lesser called a suzerient covenant. Um, a, a king who had conquered another people would write a covenant and the other king would enter into it. And he would stipulate what he, would, what he did and why he's able to make this covenant and then what is expected of the other party. Actually, what's expected of both. Because he might say, I will protect you from your enemies, but you have to pay this much tribute every year. You stop paying the tribute, I will destroy you. Um, and this is the type of covenant that God is entering into us, the Caesarean covenant. He initiates it. He tells the people why he is initiating the covenant with them. And then in the covenant itself are going to be the blessings and the curses for disobedience. Okay. Um, there's a number of covenants in the Old Testament. Um, probably the very first one, well, there's actually an overarching covenant called the covenant of grace, but, but the first one is the covenant with Adam and Eve, right? If you don't eat the fruit of this, um, if you will uh, be able to uh, live forever. And Adam and Eve fall and they break the covenant. What's the next covenant? Covenant with Noah, right? Actually, it's not a covenant with Noah, it's a covenant with you and I, but it's got a mediator, a representative who is Noah, and Noah comes out of the ark and God makes the covenant. The covenant is never again will I destroy the earth. Um, and he puts a few talks to Noah and what does Noah do? Builds an altar and sacrifices animals, okay? Uh, the next place where you're going to see, there's uh, uh, others in the Bible, but next one, and I do want to go to this one, Genesis chapter 15. Um, this is the covenant with um, Abraham. And the covenant with Abraham, he says in verse uh, 6, chapter 15, verse 6, actually, 
covenant with Abraham is unfolded throughout Genesis. Genesis 12, God calls him, tells him he'll make him a great nation and a blessing. Talks to him again in chapter 15, reiterates the covenant in chapter 17. So it's not a one-time deal, but um, it's kind of unfolded for Abraham. But in um, Genesis 15, 6, it says, and he, Abraham, believed the Lord and it, he counted it to him as righteousness. And then God talks to Abraham um, and Abraham asks for a sign of the covenant, so to speak. And in verse seven, he says, I am the Lord who brought you from, out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? He said, by the way, that might strike you as a lack of faith, but what he's asking is, let's formalize the covenant. Let's enter into this covenant. And, um, and God says, bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought him all these, cut them in half, and laid each half over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half, killed them, but then cut them in half. And when the birds of prey came, to down, uh, came down on the carcasses, Abraham drove them away. And in verse 12, as the sun was going down, a deep sleep came, fell on Abraham, and behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Um, and then God speaks. I don't have time for all of that, but, um, but we've got this picture that Abraham takes these animals, takes the animals, and he cuts them in half, and he lays them and puts a path between them. So he's got the, the animals cut in half. And then Abraham falls asleep. Um, and then in verse 17, when the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. With Abraham, um, on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham. Come on in. Come on in, hi. Um, on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham saying, to your offspring, I give this land. And he, he describes it. Uh, anybody understand what's happening here? Why does the torch and the flaming pot pass through? Oh. Why does Abraham cut the animals in half? Here, here's the principle. Um, typically what you would do with a covenant, cut the animals in half, and then the two parties would walk through the midst of those animals. And the covenant was sealed by doing that. And the idea was, this is so serious that if we violate this covenant, may what happened to those animals happen to us. This covenant is a covenant that is uh, to be obeyed or consequences will follow. But what's interesting with Abraham is what? Who passes between? Well, a fire pot and a torch, which is interesting, but where's Abraham? He's asleep. There's only one party that passes through that. that. In other words, this covenant, God takes the entire responsibility for that covenant upon himself. Uh, Abraham believes it's reckoned to him as righteousness, and that becomes the principle which the covenant that we are under, that um, Paul uh, deals with that in Romans chapter 4 um, and following. 
Okay, um, one other covenant I want you to see, and I, I know we're taking some time with this, but I think it's really important for what we're gonna do. I'm not off on a tangent. Um, uh, go over to Genesis chapter, uh, where did I put it? Uh, chapter three, 31, Genesis 31, verse 46 to 54. Um, this is a covenant of equals, but what I want you to see is some elements of covenant that are usually present when a covenant is being uh, ratified. Uh, this is between Jacob and Laban. Remember Laban, Jacob fled. Laban came to him, wanted his daughters back, and Jacob, uh, God says, no, you can't have his, your daughters back, but they enter into a covenant at that point. And it says in verse 46, Jacob said to his kin, no, start at verse 45. So Jacob took a stone and set it up as a pillar, and Jacob said to his kinsmen, gather stones, and they took stones, made a heap, and they ate there by the heap. Laban called it something, but Jacob called it Galid. Laban said, this heap is a witness between you and me today. Therefore he named it Galid and Mitzpah, and he said, the Lord watched between you and me when we are out of one another's sight. If you oppress my daughters, or if you take wives besides my daughters, although no one is there with us, see God is witness between you and me. Uh, then Laban said to Jacob, see this heap and the pillar which I have set before you and me, this heap is a witness and the pillar is a witness and I will not pass over this heap to you and you will not pass over this heap to me to do harm. Um, then the God of Abraham, the God of Nahor and the God of their father judge between us. So Jacob swore by the fear of his father Isaac and Jacob offered a sacrifice in the hill country and called the kinsmen to eat bread. They ate bread and spent the night in the hill country. Um, when a covenant is ratified, the elements that are present, either they're all mentioned or their parts of them are mentioned, is that there is a pillar or a monument that's set up there's usually animals that are sacrificed, but not necessarily as a sin offering, more along this line, that this is serious enough that death is the consequence if we break this covenant. And there is most of the time a meal, often a meal that takes place where you sit down with the party and you have a meal. By the way, we enter into covenant when we get married. Um, there's no animals cut in half, but we do give a ring. That's our monument and we usually sit down and have a meal afterwards, right? It's not exactly the same thing, but some of the same elements are, are there. Now, go back to Exodus 24. <clears throat> you will see these elements of the covenant taking place. Um, it says, in ver after they had said, all the words the Lord has done, we will do. In verse four, it says, Moses wrote down all the words of the Lord. He rose early in the morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain and 12 pillars, according to the 12 tribes of Israel. Uh, there's an altar that's built that represents God. Not, he, it isn't God, but it's the represent God isn't gonna be right there with them. That'll take place when they go up onto the mountain. And then they make 12 pillars. Why 12 pillars? 12 tribes, those are the monuments. Every tribe is entering into covenant. And then he takes and they have the young men sacrifice 12 oxen. Now, does that strike you as odd that it's young men? Who should be sacrificing the oxen? The priests, but there are no priests yet. There's no covenant yet. 
When does the priesthood come into existence? In the Mosaic Covenant. So Moses goes and says, take 12 men, young men, offer the offerings. And they take the offering and they pour out the blood. Okay? And Moses captures it. And half of it he puts on the altar. And half of it he throws on the people. It's this picture here. There's the blood on both of them. Uh, half of the blood is on the altar. That's the again the, the representation. This is what this is God, but not. Uh, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. They didn't think God was a pile of stones, but that was his representative at that. Half of it he's throwing on the people. By the way, it doesn't say he sprinkled it on the people. <laughs> uh, yours does. ESV. Nasby. Yeah, it's interesting because I've because they there are times where he will sprinkle, but here it says through. It'd be interesting to check that. Um, anyways, if you're in the front row, you're going to get covered with blood regardless. And my guess is he went to each one of the tribes and did that. And the symbol there is that of we are entering into covenant, and the consequences for disobedience are serious. Um, and we'll come back to that in in a minute. Um, well, actually. Let's, let's deal with it right now. Um, there is, right at this point, an incredible uh, misunderstanding that can take place. What is the blood for? Why, why, why is blood thrown out onto the people? What is that? It atones for sin. Um, and that is normally in the Bible what the blood is for. But I don't believe that's what it's for in this case. They have not entered the covenant yet. They haven't broken the covenant yet. This, this is why I told you about the animals being ripped in half. This is the blood that you enter into the covenant with that symbolizes the significance of that covenant and the consequences. And the reason that I say that is not that Jesus' blood does not cover sin because it does okay let's just make sure everybody understands that i know that the blood of jesus christ takes away our sin but in this passage i don't think that's what the blood was for and that's because it tells us what type of offering this was anybody catch that probably not because we just don't think this way and it says in verse 5 he sent young men of the people of israel who offered burnt offerings and sacrificed peace offerings of oxen to the Lord. What type of offering was offered? Burnt offerings and peace offerings. See, we assume that every that every sacrifice in the Old Testament is always for sin. But not everyone is. There's actually five different types of sacrifices. There's a burnt offering, a peace offering, a wave offering, a sin offering and a guilt offering. And the last two are for sin. And these first three are not. The burnt offering is an interesting offering. Is what you do with the burnt offering is you bring an animal willingly to the Lord. You lay your hand on the animal and then the animal is, is uh, killed and burned completely. There's not a single part of the animal that gets eaten. 
you are not bringing it necessarily for the purpose of atoning for sin. Although if there is any sin in you, it is transferred to the animal in the picture of what's happening. There's an imputation that's going on. But the idea is the burnt offering says, just as I have given this animal in its entirety to the Lord without anything being taken from it, I give myself to God in the same way. The burnt offering is an offering of dedication. Uh, the idea is that just as you have given this animal entirely to the Lord, you give yourself entirely to the Lord, okay? Um, so the animal is given to God, and because you've laid your hand on it, you basically are dedicating yourself to God. And by the way, the burnt offering is the most common offering in the Old Testament. It is mentioned more than all of the other offerings, the burnt offering. What's the peace offering? Well, a peace offering is an offering that is completely voluntary. By the way, both of these are totally voluntary. They are voluntary. This is not required under the law. If you want to dedicate yourself to the Lord, you bring a burnt offering. If you want to, um, this other one is the peace offering, it is one where you are offering God because of something that God has done for you or because of your, um, so let me, let me do it this way. Um, you know the Psalm, and I forgot to write down the, the Psalm. We bring a sacrifice of praise into the house of the Lord. That sacrifice of praise is a peace offering. When Hannah uh, came and offered up um, her son and she was praising God, it was called a peace offering. Those are peace offerings, sacrifices of praise. Um, oftentimes it was an animal, but basically what you're doing in a peace offering is it's a, it's a sign of thanksgiving, um, of, of joy, it really represents that you are at peace with God. Now the interesting thing about the burnt offering is the burnt offering, both of these are voluntary, as is another offering called the wave offering. These are voluntary. But um, the peace offering is the only offering that you as the offerer got to keep and eat. They're saying you brought your animal, the, the priest would eat from it, but you didn't eat anything from it, okay? Uh, the priest got the shoulder or he got, they would always tell what part of the animal and the priest would get that. He would reach in the pot and they would pull out some of the, the meat. Um, the peace offering, the offerer um, gets to eat. And my guess is that what they ate on Mount Sinai was the oxen that had been slaughtered. That that was the meal on Mount Sinai when the 70 elders go up. So when you had mentioned the burnt offering and the peace offering were not as a means to atone for sin. Yeah. So would you say that the blood then was kind of like, um, if it's a burnt offering and it's supposed to symbolize dedication, it would be used as a means to like, Almost like the people's blood to, to kind of offer themselves to the Lord, you know, 
Actually, I think the blood there is simply entering into the covenant and, and acknowledging that we accept the full consequences of this, even to the point of, of death, if we violate the covenant. Okay. Um, this burnt offering is the only offering where the entire animal um, is burned. In other words, there's no part of this animal that's eaten. Now you say, wait a minute, but see there were 12, there were, there were burnt offerings and peace offerings. The burnt offerings are totally gone, the peace offerings you get to eat. There's different types of offering that are being taken place here, okay? Um, now, uh, stay with me here. Um, in verse eight, Moses took the blood and threw it on the people and said, what? Behold, the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. This is the blood of the covenant. This is the entrance into the covenant. Now, what happens next is confusing. By the way, we're gonna cycle back to this, but I wanna finish this because there's something I want you to see in the New Testament. Um, verse nine, then Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, by the way, who is Nadab and Abihu? Sons of Aaron. Uh, what do we know about them? Yeah, they get killed by um, offering strange fire to the Lord. So these are two of the men who actually go up and see God, and they end up dying because they disobey. So um, it says the Aaron and Nadab, uh, Aaron and Moses, Nadab and Abihu, and seventy of the elders of Israel went up, and they saw the God of Israel. All right, let's stop right there. What immediately flashes through your mind when you hear that? That they saw the God of Israel. No one can see God and live. It's like, whoa, what happened here? I, I will tell you what all of the commentaries say. We have no idea. Okay? In fact, some of them will say not only we have no idea, but we refuse to speculate. Okay? Um, but we do have an interesting clue in here, and that is, what do they see of God? We aren't sure, but what do they describe? His feet and the fact that he is standing on some sort of pavement, which is sapphire. Sapphire is what color, ladies? Blue, okay. I could have guessed that, but no, I knew that actually. Um, but I have trouble with colors. I just have the primary colors and that's kind of it. So this is a light blue, right? Or is it a dark blue? Well, they're saying like the sky, well, the sky is a light. There we go, and that should have been a clue to me, yes. Um, <laughs> and it's crystal clear, and God is somehow on that. So I, the, the commentaries won't speculate, but here's what I wonder. They look up and what do they see? They see some sort of pavement and what are they seeing of God? Well, his feet. I'm not very good at drawing feet either. They're looking up and they're seeing his feet. Um, whatever they saw could have been enough to kill them, but notice what it says. It's really interesting. They're having this meal, and in verse 11 it says, he did not lay his hand on the chief men of Israel. You understand? God let them live even though they saw a glimpse of him. Anybody else get to see a glimpse of God? Moses. And remember when Moses goes up, this apparently wasn't enough for him because Moses is here. 
He sees the feet, and what does he say? Show yourself to me. This wasn't satisfactory to him. He wants to see more of God, okay? And then what do they do? They have a meal on the mountain. They have entered into covenant, the 70 elders, not priests, but 70 elders of the people. Um, they all go up representing the people and they eat. By the way, this is an interesting picture. Oh, boy, we have people coming. There we go. Oh, hi. Come on in. Sorry, we came in the wrong door. That's okay. That's okay. Um, there's an interesting picture here that I do want to mention at this point, um, and that is that this, uh, the whole focus now switches to the tabernacle. You essentially have a side view of the tabernacle. This is the mountain. I know that's not a very good mountain. Um, around the outside is the people of Israel. And then partway up the mountain is the elders. And then at the very top of the mountain is Moses, right? Who else is at the top of the mountain? God, right? And where is everybody else in the world? Well, way out here somewhere, right? Here's the nations. When you look at the tabernacle, the tabernacle has a big curtain. This is where the nations are allowed. There's a little door here. There's an a altar, a, not an altar, a, a laver for washing and an altar. And Israel as a people can come in here. And then inside of here, the priests go into here and finally the high priest once a year in here. It's the same picture of the nations, Israel, the priests, and Moses. Um, and that's gonna be the, the kind of the theme of the rest of this is designing that, that and all the symbolism that goes into it. Okay, now, um, what I want you to do is I, I want you to turn over to uh, the New Testament, to a very familiar passage, uh, Matthew, um, where Jesus institutes the, um, the Lord's Supper. Matthew 26, verse 26. says, now as they were eating, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup and when he had gave, given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink of it all of you for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with, your, with you in my Father's kingdom. That phrase, this is, the, this, is, uh, um, this is my blood of the covenant. What does Moses say when he institutes the covenant? This is the blood of the covenant, the blood that is poured on both sides. This is my blood of the covenant. Um, what do they do at that, at that meal? They, they eat, and what are they eating symbolically? The Christ's body. Um, here's what I think is happening at communion. 
I think we're actually seeing a combination of all of these offerings. We didn't talk much about the sin offering, but the sin offering is for um, the covering of sin. I think Jesus is a burnt offering. He is offering himself entirely and completely to God. He's already said that, not my will, but thine be done. I think this is the offering that Paul talks about when he says, I beseech you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Jesus is also the peace offering. Why? Because they're partaking of him. And this is so that we can have peace with God, that ultimately we can always come before God into his presence. And Jesus' blood is also a sin offering because the sin offering was the blood that, that covered sins. The blood of that offer, offering covers sins. I think the disciples, when they saw what was happening, I think they understood more than we think they understand. When he said, this is the blood of my covenant, do any of you think back to Exodus 24? No but I think they would have. This is the blood of the covenant, the Mosaic covenant, which we have lived under our whole lives. This is my blood of the covenant. It's a new covenant. Uh, jump over to John chapter um, 13, because there was something that hit me as I was preparing this lesson. John chapter 14. <clears throat> In John's gospel, the uh, the Last Supper or the uh, Lord's Table takes place in John 13. And then in John 14 um, uh, and following, they have what's called the Upper Room Discourse. Jesus is talking. And if you get to um, verse 8, do you remember what Philip asks? What does Philip ask of Jesus? Show us the Father. Show us the Father and that will be enough for us. And to, to you and I, we read that and we say, why would he ask that right then? What does that got to do with anything? Jesus is talking about he's dying, gonna die and, and, and Philip says, show us the Father? Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and it's enough for us. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Why are they asking to be shown the Father? Well, what happened at the original covenant? the elders went up and they saw the Father. They saw God. I think when, when, when and this is speculation, but I think when Philip heard those words, this is the my blood of the covenant, they understood we're entering into a new covenant. And, and assumingly it's a better covenant. So shouldn't we be able to see God too? <laughs> there were 70 up having the meal, there's 12 of us. Why can't we see God? And Jesus says, you, you missed the whole point. I've been with you the whole time. In fact, Jesus came and tabernacled among us. Uh, in some ways, the entire tabernacle is a picture of, of Jesus Christ coming and living among men and opening the door to them. Um, so this, this covenant that's made in the Old Testament just rings through into the New Testament. Um, fortunately, our sin offering is a better sin offering. It doesn't just cover sin, what does it do? It takes away sin. Our peace offering is a better peace offering, right? It's not temporary. Um, Romans says that we have peace with 
God, one of the greatest blessings ever uh, that we are able to, uh, to, to, to go to bed and be at peace with God and not worry if the blood of this covenant has been violated and we are, 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 are going to be uh, destroyed. Uh, it can't be. And we have the ability then to truly offer ourselves as a burnt offering to God, just as Christ did. We're called upon to, to live our lives for God, just as he did. Um, and so that's Exodus 24. The, the focus will now switch. The people have entered into covenant. They're excited about it. Uh, sadly, they don't stay excited for very long, and the covenant begins to unravel before the ink is dry on the contract, as they say. They've already violated it. <clears throat> and we watch what happens unfold and begin to understand the need for the new covenant, uh, the need for the fact that, that um, we need somebody else to obey for us. Who prepares the meal that they participate in? The Passover meal? I, I'm going to be sexist and say the ladies. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> uh, I don't know who, who did that. My, my guess is, is that the burnt offerings were totally burned and the peace offerings were roasted. And, um, and then that meat was taken up and served on the, meal, on the mountain. Um, when you have a couple million people, 12, 12 oxen isn't going to feed them all. Um, it's going to feed more than 70 uh, people, but that's I'm sure where that came from, but I have no idea who prepared it. Um, it. It had to take some time though, right? All of this took time. This didn't happen immediately. Um, and then what happens after this is Moses goes up on the mountain and that's where we'll start next week. Yeah. You did a truly excellent job of tying the Old Testament sacrifice into God, into Jesus's replacement with the Lord's Supper. Mm -hmm. Now, every time they sinned, they had to go some type of a sacrifice. So why is it since we have communion that we don't use it more often? Well, we're not, we're not, um, w when we do communion, we are remembering the sacrifice that Christ did. We are not having our sins forgiven at that point. <clears throat> As, as, as I understand it, the entire animal is uh, burned or, or destroyed. It may be the fatty portions, but nobody is allowed to eat of that. That offering is not given, the, no one eats any part of that. So where is the burnt offering offered? Which section of the temple? Well, <coughs> most of the offerings are offered on that altar right there. Um, you come in, you wash your hands, you offer here, the priests go in, they have priestly duties, which we'll talk about. They've got the table of showbread and the oil that burns and they have the, um, or the lamp, they have another laver that's inside of there. And then of course in the high, Holy of Holies, there's the uh, Ark of the, the Covenant. Was that? Between the priest and the high priest? Yeah, the veil, veil is here. Well, it's all veiled. Oh. Um, the, the, the priests can go in here, but this is a veil that covers, and then there's a, a veil that covers here as well. So the high priest is allowed. I mean, there's always an opening into it, but basically it's separated. The people, Israel, the priests, and finally the high priest once a year. Um, and of course, we know that Jesus ripped that open. Yeah. Any 
look like somebody, Trevor, um, not Trevor, I'm sorry, I said the wrong name. Um, Kevin. Kevin. Okay, yeah. Um, anything else? By the way, the, the, the application for this, if we say, well, what's the application of all of this? Um, the application is the same one that's made all the way through Hebrews. We have a, a new and better covenant. The blood of our covenant is a better covenant. The, the blood truly takes away sin. But we do have to enter into the covenant. If you've never entered into the covenant, if you've never placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you are outside of that, that covenant. But once we've accepted it, now we have this better covenant with a better sacrifice, with better offerings, and, and it's, it's better because we aren't the one who's, who's keeping the covenant. Jesus kept it for us. Um, uh, anyways, any, any other questions before we go or comments? Right. I wonder if we're having communion today. <laughs> That'd be kind of cool. This is, this is the blood of my covenant. Then show me the Father. Yeah. And, and Jesus did. We see the Father. I we do. see the Father in him. Yeah. Go ahead. Well, and the, the, the hardest part was that they had to obey, and they didn't have means to obey <laughs> because they, didn't, they hadn't been transformed from the inside. The covenant was an external one, not an internal one. Okay, any other comments before we go? All right, let's go ahead and pray for